first of all, what I want to know is how many of you are on Facebook? Really, already? I mean, the sermon just started. Okay, um, no, how many of you, yes, are on Facebook? For all of those of you who are on Facebook, whether right now or whether just in general, I am most certain that all of you have seen posts of rants about all sorts of topics, specifically addressing how other people view the world, how they view politics, how they view all sorts of circumstances in our life today. I won't make you raise your hand if you've seen that because I know we have all seen that. You might even be one of the posters. It's possible. All right, but uh, one of the things that uh, it's clear to notice, whether you're on Facebook or not, is that this is something that continues to escalate in our day. The rudeness that is out there in relation to one person feeling the, the compulsion to share how it is they view somebody else and somebody else's worldview and somebody else's view on any of a number of different topics. We see it all out there, and it may be that, that people are even being more bold than they've been before, especially as they sit behind their keyboard because just because of the distance it might seem like they have the opportunity to say something even more bold and even more brash like there's protection behind that keyboard they're saying something they wouldn't necessarily say to somebody's face I think that's what happened for a Florida man named Alex he was starting to really go off on his rant on Facebook and he was just putting it out there, and he was just letting the opposition have it. And, well, one of the guys who was a part of that opposition party, his name was Brian, he started to chime in because he wasn't going to let Alex get by with what he was saying. And pretty soon there's this rather significant online argument that's going on between these two guys. And Alex thought that there was some safety behind his keyboard, but somehow Brian figured out where Alex lived. And he went over to his house, and he shot him in the behind. It seemed like there was some protection behind the keyboard, but things didn't turn out so well in the end. <clears throat> well, you can laugh at that or groan at that if you want to, but the fact of the matter is this sort of behavior is running rampant in our world today. I don't need to try to convince you of this because you already know, and so we're going to address some of that here today. We're going to continue on in our sermon series. It's complicated, navigating the relationships of life. And specifically, we're going to take a look at the complication that comes with interacting with people who have differing worldviews than what we have. And it is out there, and you know that it is out there. We see it around us all the time. This is a big issue because we've all got opinions that lead us to the worldviews that we hold. And we hold those opinions very staunchly. We all do. And there are people who are on exactly the opposite side of the fence or the opposite side of the spectrum who hold their worldviews just as tightly, just as significantly as you hold yours. And when those come together, it gets complicated. It can be on any of a number of different topics. It can be on race or on religion or on politics or on same-sex marriage or on transgender issues or on abortion or on and on the list would go, the things that we get in one another's face about. And it's not that we haven't disagreed in the past. We certainly have. But it seems as though people are more emboldened today than they ever have been before. And they're more entrenched in their views than they ever have been before. So there is more and more incendiary ranting that is going on in our world. In a recent fight that was out there very much in the public eye, a professor at a major American university said this, 
U.S. senators deserve miserable deaths and their corpses should be castrated and fed to swine. Sounds like a fun person to hang out with at a party, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what they said. That's what they said. And whether you know the specific context of what I'm talking about and what it was about and who said it and all of that, it really doesn't matter because it's not difficult for us to imagine that sort of statement being made from either side of any particular issue, really, toward one another. We see it around us all the time. And when we look at that and that volley of words and the war of words that is going on, and we see the way that things seem to be going in our nation, it's like it's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to become dejected as we look on it and we just imagine, where is this going to stop? And the thing that might be just as troubling as any is that the words that we are hearing going back and forth have stopped surprising us. Remember when it used to be that somebody would say something, it's like, I can't believe that they said that. And now it's hard to imagine anything that might be said. It would really surprise us. And deep in our heart of hearts, we start to wonder, and maybe you're wondering, will it ever stop? So is this incessant march toward incivility a foregone conclusion? Is it just something that we need to accept and acknowledge? Look, it's just the way that things are today. Well, it's certainly a complicated issue, but is it a hopeless issue? Before we throw in the towel on this whole thing, I want to just think a little bit more about some principles that are out there for us to take a look at, to consider some principles that Jesus himself and some of his followers have have thrown out for us. And this is an important thing to consider because Jesus was certainly one who had people who opposed his worldview and ended up taking him to the cross, in fact. But I believe that there is, are some things that he and his followers have to say that might just speak to the issues that we are facing today. And instead of just throwing in the towel and, and giving up, really, before we even get started, that we might just take a moment to consider, is there a different way forward where we might be able to arrest this march toward incivility and maybe even maybe even turn it around. So the question that we're going to be addressing for today is how do you navigate relationships with those who have differing worldviews? Let me offer you some ideas, all right? The first essential is this, to know your audience. You have an outline there in your worship program that might be helpful to fill in as we go and maybe hang on to this. Keep it in your Bible, post it on your fridge, Somewhere where you'll see it when you interact with other people, maybe by your computer when you're ready to throw something out there. Know your audience. One of my favorite passages in all of the Bible comes in Acts chapter 17, where the Apostle Paul is up on Mars Hill. It's basically just this huge rock. It's called Mars Hill, and it's a place where the philosophers of his day would go, and they would sit there, and they would talk worldview, and they'd talk philosophy, and they would talk about their points of view, back and forth with one another. And Paul goes up there and he speaks with them. The people there didn't agree with what Paul was teaching and and sometimes they would insult him and what he has to say. And if you read through that chapter, you can see that they call him a babbler and say that your views hold no water with us. They're strange ideas. And Paul certainly could have shot back at them 
and insulted them in return because they were insulting him. But he chooses not to do that. He chooses to take a little different path. Instead, Paul considers what he knows about his audience, and he tries to gain some common ground together with them. And if you look at this passage, here's what it says. It says, he says to these people, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. See, Paul could have started with his convictions. He could have just come out with some rant and said, you are all idiots. You have no idea the way that the world really works. And it's possible that Paul even could have won his argument, but in winning his argument, he could have lost his influence. That's so oftentimes what happens, that's a trap that we fall into. We're so interested in being right, at least the way that we consider right to be and getting it out there so that everybody has to receive uh, what right is for us, that we lose the opportunity to actually have influence. And in so much pushing it out there that we're going to be right, we shut them down. We shut down their willingness to listen to whatever it is that we might have to say. And if we're going to get to the place where they're going to, we're going to have to know our audience. We're going to have to be willing to open ourselves up to really learning something about who they are. And part of knowing your audience is not getting shaken when they speak or they act according to their own worldview. See, so often what we want to have happen is that my worldview rules the day and that people who don't even share my worldview would at least act according to my worldview, which is ludicrous when you stop to think about it. We should expect that somebody is going to act completely in harmony with what their worldview is. So we should stop being surprised when someone who doesn't have the priority of Jesus Christ in their life acts as though they don't have the priority of Jesus Christ in their life. That's something that we have come to through our own exploration, through our own understanding, through the Spirit's work in our own life. But for us to place that on somebody who doesn't hold that same priority and allow that to be the thing that drives a wedge between us is simply not knowing our audience. We need to recognize the fact that we're going to come at things differently. If we hold different worldviews, we've come to those probably in honest ways. You're trying to live out your worldview honestly. They're just trying to live out their worldview honestly as well. So expecting them to align their behaviors with your worldview is not going to be productive, and it'll help us to have that as a starting point. If that's what most of the rants that you see in the news and on, on Facebook and in social media are really all about, is it any wonder that no Facebook rant ever has changed a person's worldview? It doesn't. It doesn't have the power to do that. If you want to have a shot at having influence and not just getting your worldview off your chest, you need to be willing to Listen to what's actually going on in the heart and mind of somebody who has some different point of view than you do instead of simply trying to get them to conform to your worldview. You're going to have to genuinely listen to what is going on instead of just assuming, well, they said this, so I'm sure that all these other things are true about them. And maybe they are, but the process of listening to them express to you what their worldview is is a part of getting to know your audience, and it's part of what opens up conversation to the place where they might actually get to a place where they'll listen to yours instead of just shutting you down. You need to know your audience if we're going to navigate our way through this complicated circumstance. Another thing we need to do is to stand for truth. Absolutely. 
Stand for truth. After the Apostle Paul establishes a rapport and a common ground with those that he's addressing, he does something very interesting. He preaches. He preaches to them. And it's clear that he's not backing down. He's not watering down what it is that he has to say. He's just laying it out for them straight. He's giving it to it to them the way that he sees it and feels it. And if you read through what it is that Paul says here in Acts chapter 17, and this would be some great extra credit reading for this afternoon, but if you read through what he says, he doesn't just go to sort of a straight gospel message, which you might expect him to do. Many times he does that, not here. What we see him doing is that he is addressing these people where they are. He knows his audience, so the truth that he is speaking speaks to what they're thinking. Instead of just, here's my predetermined message I was going to give to you, let me speak to what you are pondering in your own mind. Let me speak to the things that address what it is that you are processing for yourself, and it gets him a hearing. And they listen, and if you look at what he preaches, eventually he comes around to topics of judgment and topics of things like repentance and resurrection which these philosophers were very much against. That was, there was no place for resurrection of Jesus in their worldview, but he's able to come around to the place where he shares that. Now, we too can stand for truth in a way that leads to engagement rather than division. Just because you think differently than a coworker or a neighbor or a family member doesn't mean that you cannot engage with them on deep and even challenging topics and not walk away as Friends, you can. I recently read an article about Rosaria Butterfield, who was a self-described lesbian feminist. That's who she was in her life, who encountered this warm Christian couple who invited her to come over into, her, into their house and to share meals with them, and it had a dynamic impact on her life because they honored her. They didn't waver. They stood for their truth, but they honored her as they did so instead of just hammering their point of view without even paying attention or getting to know who she was. Integrity insists that you would stand for truth, and I certainly hope that you will, but there is a way that you can do so that will foster unity even between you and people who don't share your worldview, and there's a way that can ensure division. And if you're just going to move forward and not be willing to understand who it is that you're talking to, to know your audience, to be willing to give them a little bit of honor for who they are, you're never going to get to the place where your worldview will ever be heard in the first place. So know your audience and stand for truth. And thirdly, engage with respect. Here again, we have a model from the Apostle Paul. As he's speaking the truth to his audience here on Mars Hill, he's very respectful of them and their opinions and their viewpoints. In fact, at one point, it says that he quotes from one of their poets. What's he doing? He's just trying to gain a common ground. There's so much that he can agree with, but there's something this one poet said that actually can further what it is that he has to say. And so he's just showing them some honor and some respect so that there might be some common ground so that they might listen. This can go a long, long way, but rarely do we hear people engaging in that fashion in our day-to-day. It's like all black and white. When was the last time you heard a political ad where someone said, well, of course you know that I disagree significantly with my opponent, but here's one thing I really think he's got right. 
You don't hear that. Because nobody's interested in engaging with respect. They're interested in promoting division so that I might be able to rally my base and divide them against this person and against that candidate so that they will never vote for them. In Paul's case, we're even told that when he finished what he had to say, they sneered at him. Gives him an opportunity to sneer back if he wants to, but he doesn't. He doesn't post a rant on Facebook so that he might be able to get his pound of flesh. Not at all. And as a result, what happens at the end of the day is the text tells us that some of those people believed. Some of those people gave their life over to Jesus and transformed their worldview from what it was that they were staunchly holding against Paul's view. They turned it completely around because Paul earned the right to be heard in the way that he approached them. Paul never compromised his message, but he knew that there were different ways to proclaim it. And he explains for us the right way in some other texts that he he writes to some different churches. One of those was to the church in Ephesus where he wrote this, speaking the truth in love. Just ask yourself in the interactions that you have, is speaking the truth in love, even to someone who doesn't share your point of view, is that characteristic of what you do. Speaking the truth of love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Or in Colossians, it says, let your conversation all, or be always full of grace. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Do you want to know how to answer everyone? Even those people that you don't agree with? As you approach them, let your conversation be full of grace. There's no grace in one-line zingers. There's no grace in incendiary rants. There's no grace in dismissing a person simply because of what it is that they believe. So Paul tells us to let our conversation be full of grace, and in the verse right before that, he gives us an additional call that is very telling for us here in this topic. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Outsiders are essentially the people who have different worldviews than you do. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. We need to recognize the fact that every time we bump up against a person who has a different worldview, that it's an opportunity. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the people that we bump up against who have a different worldview have already concluded some things about us based on the way that they've had interactions with other people who are like us, who might be in the same camp as we are in. And so there might be a little bit of pigeonholing that's gone on about who you are just based on who somebody like you has been to that person. But even there, you need to understand that this is an opportunity because as you step forward and you speak the truth in love, as you engage them with grace and with respect, you're going to blow their mind. Chances are they're not even going to have a category to put you in. And as a result, they're going to want to know. They're going to be curious about why you think so differently than other people that they've talked to. Why you're treating them with respect and why you're treating them with 
love when others haven't done that for them, and it's going to create an open door that you can walk through and continue to walk through in your relationship with that person. This was very much at play and so powerful on Rosaria Butterfield that she kept going back to visit that couple, that warm Christian couple that showed her respect, engaged her respect again and again and again. Eventually, she ends up writing a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. The principle involved here is that you're not going to be able to have influence from a distance. Lobbing a truth grenade is going to do nothing productive because it's lobbed with the motivation or with the message that says, take that, take that. There's truth for you while we're staying at a safe distance away from them. That's not engaging with respect. That's not speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love requires engagement, requires relationship, it requires connection, it requires conversation. And this is why it can be so difficult for so many of us to go that direction because being hospitable to somebody who has such a different point of view, such a different worldview, just seems outside of our paradigm. It's so hard to imagine. You might say, I could never respect the person who holds that different view on marriage or on politics. But you're wrong. In fact, you must. I'm not saying you have to respect the view, but you must respect the person because this is a person that God loves and has been made in His own image. And we have the responsibility to approach them in such a way. Whatever the views, they're still a person loved by God. You wouldn't be defiling your house, defiling your house. You're not endorsing a point of view if you have a gay neighbor into your house. If you have someone who thinks so differently than you on whatever the different issues are. That's not an endorsement of a view. It's an endorsement of what God has called us to do. Brings us back to the priorities of pathway to life. Talk about them all the time. Talked about them last week. That we need to initiate relationships. And that we wouldn't maybe necessarily be so strict on who those relationships are who it's okay for that to be with. To initiate relationships, to invest in those relationships, to take it the next step so that your worldview, which is different than theirs, might have an opportunity to be spoken in the first place. To invite them to a place where they might be able to engage more deeply with you, more deeply with Jesus, more deeply with God's people in church and in a setting such as this. There's no reason to draw a line to decide who of those people that might not share your worldview you're willing to talk to and who are on the other side of the line you're not willing to talk to them. Because if you really think about this, if you really boil it down, there are just two worldviews. There are those who give glory and honor to Christ as the creator of all things and that life should be lived for Him. And there are those who say that man is the measure of all things. Those are the two worldviews. And to divide down the camp of man is the measure of all things and so I'm willing to engage them, but I'm not willing to engage them is unduly separating a group of people who are simply acting according to the worldview that has been established. 
They're all standing apart from Christ, regardless of what behaviors their worldview might have led them to. And they're all in need of Jesus. I believe we have a responsibility in all of those settings. So engage others with respect. And then one last essential for navigating relationships with people of differing worldviews is to live consistently. I wouldn't be surprised if there are some sitting and listening wondering, why do I have to be the one? Why do I have to be the one to change? Why do I have to be the one to take the high ground? I mean, I'm the one who's got truth on my side. I'm the one who's right, and you're telling me I've got to be the one to change? Why is that? That's because the point of view that we are taking on, that we are espousing, that we are saying is the right worldview is one that's derived from the pages of the Scriptures, and the Scriptures also tell you you've got to take the high road. You've got to speak the truth in love. You've got to communicate with people out of grace. It's what you're proclaiming. It's what you're holding to, and we need to be fully consistent in the way that we live if we hope to ever be heard and paid attention to by anyone. It's what Jesus was driving at in the Sermon on the Mount when he warned us, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He's just saying, live consistently. There's not going to leave you in a very good place. If we don't give our attention to this, we're going to be dismissed on the basis of our lifestyle long before anybody would be interested in paying attention to our worldview. Even earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was addressing the issue of people who had different world's views from the disciples and they were using it to oppose them. And he said, here's how I want you to respond. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's the call. Doesn't say anywhere there in their post a rant on Facebook or just says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's hard to pray for somebody and still feel vitriol in your heart toward them. Love your enemies. Love people with different worldviews who stand opposed to you. Yes, I know, I understand that sometimes, especially when you, you hear the activist and you hear the way that they just, it's so hard. But there aren't caveats in this. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's God's will for us. And he goes on to point, yeah, anybody can love a person who loves them back. But the call is higher than that. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I hope that we're all willing to embrace what God is calling us to do here. But I imagine that there might still be some who would say, look, that's fine for you. If you want to be that person, you do that. But I can't go there. I won't go there. I just can't imagine it in my life. I urge you. I plead with you to reconsider. This is so absolutely essential for a number of reasons. One, for your own soul. Because this is what God calls us to do. It's good for your own consistency to live consistently. And ultimately, it's what all the rest of us need from you also. Because the truth of the matter is this, the divided church, a divided church cannot call a divided nation to unity. A divided church 
cannot call a divided nation to unity because we need to live it before we're going to convince anybody else of it. And this is important because the way that I live my life is shaping how the world is thinking about you. And our community is making determinations about pathway based on the way that you're interacting with, interacting with people that you engage in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the marketplace, wherever that might be. When one of us acts, it may as well be all of us acting because the world isn't interested in parsing little nuances, saying, well, yeah, they go to Pathway, but, but that's not really what Pathway teaches, so we can kind of dismiss that person as not being connected to their... They're not doing that. What one of us says, what one of us does, reflects on all the rest of us. In a divided church, cannot call a divided nation to unity. So as we get ourselves together is when people are going to sit up and start to pay attention. And to do that, we're going to need to know our audience, who it is that we're speaking with, being willing to go to the place of understanding who they are and what it is that they really think and let them communicate it instead of just making assumptions and lobbing our truth grenade back the other direction. We need to speak the truth. Absolutely. We need to stand for truth. We need to engage with respect. And we need to live consistently. Is that complicated? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially when you hear the way that sometimes things are spoken against you, against us, against Jesus. It can get complicated to be sure. But as we do this, the power of our lives are going to live, lead other people to demand to know what is different about you. And they'll demand to know more about your worldview. And ultimately, that's what we're after. We're not just after a feeling of, well, I gave it to them. At least I hope we're not after that. We have been after that. But if what we really want is to see somebody's worldview impacted. We can. They'll pay attention. They'll ask to know, not everybody, but some. And ultimately, that is our goal. And to get there, these are absolute essentials. It might mean a change in your own worldview on how you move forward. But it's absolutely essential if we're going to have the impact that we can have and fulfill the reason we are here, is to make, which is to make much of Christ, not to make much of what it is we think about a particular issue or topic. I pray that we can go there because I know that's what will bring glory to God and what will give us opportunity for influence. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your call on our lives. Thank you for the example that we see in you. Even in the way that you engaged with us. We can be like, no, I, I, just, I, I can't believe that there would be someone who would hold the worldview that they hold and I just need to stand against them when, when what we need to realize is that we ourselves have held a worldview that is opposed to you. Going our own direction. And we have our model that's found in you who reached out to us 
when we weren't changing our worldview, we weren't changing our own personal priority on ourself. But you not only spoke the truth in love, you acted out the truth in love and gave your all for the sake of people who didn't believe in you or hold a view of you that was right or really anything more than selfish. You extended your grace. You even respected us for who we are. You made us in your image. And Lord, now you call us to extend that forward, to live and love and engage in a way that follows after your pattern. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to take that course because we know as we do, we're going to be able to have influence where we've had none. We're going to be able to be respected as we extend it. Not accepting a point of view, not accepting a false truth. Standing for truth but doing it in a way that isn't just interested in being right, but is being influential. So Lord, use us. Help us to live consistently, to honor you, and to move the hearts of men and women, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.